Pastor Ben and Hannah are coming to speak for us today, and a couple of things we want to mention. One is that um, Hannah has been going through a process with the elders related to ordination, and the elders have approved for her to be licensed to preach. What that means is kind of like when you're 16 and you get a driver's license. It's a real license, but it says kind of provisional on it. Um, it means that um, there's... It means that as elders, as a congregation, we have recognized in her the giftings to do ministry, pastoral ministry, preaching, other, the ordination ministry. So we are, we are, but in our constitution, we have to put that out there for at least four weeks for you all to say, we agree with that. And I'd be happy if you talked to the elders and said, we agree with that. If you have a reason you disagree with that please talk to one of the elders and, and talk to them about what that is. Because we want to be, be clear when we're laying hands on someone or ordaining them that this is a real thing. And when we license them to preach, it's the real thing. She can marry you, bury you, and do all those good things. And um, so, um, so we, are, we are blessing Hannah with that. Um, and we will have a, if depending upon what you all say to us, we're planning to have a, a service of ordination on December 8th, which is the next time you will see these people here. Because, as you know, they're going to Oaxaca, Mexico, but on the way to going to Oaxaca, Mexico, they are gathering prayer support and financial support from people beyond us. So we are releasing them, no sending them to other congregations to tell people what they're doing and to bless them. So that we've been enjoying their preaching and, and their uh, time with us for all this time. It's time for us to send them, first of all, to some other congregations to bless them with uh, their ministry. And, um, but today is our last chance to uh, hear them for several months um, while they go do that. And then they'll be back in December. And then they're hoping to go to Oaxaca early next year. So uh, let's pray with them for, uh, for that. Lord, we want to thank you for nine years with Pastor Ben and Hannah and their family and the way that you have ministered through them to us. We thank you for the great ministry that you have done among us through them, and we are so grateful. And Lord, we now want to share that. We want to send them to other congregations so that they can bless them and challenge them with missions and with what your heart is and, um, and Lord, we're also preparing to send them to Mexico, to Oaxaca, and we, we pray that you would bless them and make them a blessing as they go to these other congregations and as they begin this transition time. Lord, we are dependent on you, thankful for you, and, and uh, grateful for them. So we, we ask you that you would walk with them, be with them, be with the kids in this uh, transition time as well, and, uh, and with our congregation too in this transition time. Lord, do your work among us with them, and thank you for the privilege of being a house of prayer for all nations, sending them to the nations, and uh, doing that with other congregations as well. And Lord, now as we hear your word from them, we ask that you would open our hearts, open our lives to listen, hear, rejoice, follow, obey what you speak to us. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Thanks. Okay. 
So today I get the privilege of sharing with you first. I'm going to lob it up, and Ben's going to spike it down when he gets up here. So as we have prayed and thought about what we want, if there's one thing we can leave with you, Bethel Christian Fellowship, from our time here, we want to communicate how worthy God is of everything that we are. And it's our prayer that we would communicate that so well that it would sink. You know, (laughs) I've been a Minnesotan for a while, and I still can't control my emotions. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Marnie. He's so worthy of everything that we are. And that's been our theme this morning, and I pray that that has ministered to your heart. And we want to share a little bit more about that. This isn't so much going to be an instructional message as an encouragement message and an exhortation to do what we already know is right in our worship to the Lord. Are you up for that? All right. Oh, I lost my doohicker. Here it is. So let's talk about, oh, turn it on. Oh, turn it on. All right, I got it. Thanks, I think so. There we go. Thanks. So what is the worth of something? This is one of the definitions. And it's the level at which something or someone deserves to be valued. That is the worth of something or someone. Now, this seems a little bit subjective, right? Because I might value something more than you would value it. So how do we determine the worth of something or someone? I want to tell you a story of a wealthy man, very wealthy man who collected art. And he had one of the biggest and most beautiful collections from many different artists. I mean, he had Rembrandt, he had Picasso, he had... Um, you know, all these beautiful, gorgeous paintings, and he was renowned for his art collection. And when he passed away, he didn't have an heir. He didn't have anyone to receive that inheritance from him of all this beautiful art. And the art world was actually sort of excited about that because people had been coveting his beautiful paintings and all of his wonderful uh, items that they could uh, maybe procure for themselves. And this man had had a son, but he had passed away early on. And when this man's paintings went up for auction, they were displayed beautifully for bidders to come see. And all these wonderfully wealthy people came to look at these beautiful works of art that maybe even hadn't been seen for a while because this was his collection, his private stash that he had. And as they were looking through it included, there was a portrait of the man's son, before he had passed away. And it was sort of a crude portrait. It was a good likeness, but not really done with an experienced hand, not done with any, by anybody who had any sort of name in the art world or anything like that. And so as people were looking at these paintings and writing down, well, which ones do we think we can get? And, you know, what do we do? They sort of overlooked that one because uh, why is this even in here? I mean, I guess the old man loved his son, but, you know, it seems out of place in this collection. 
And so the bidding time came, and the auctioneer went up and said, okay, item by item, we're going to come up, and people are excited. They've got their paddles ready to go. What's it going to be first? Which one's it going to be first? And the very first one that came up was the portrait of the sun. Help, Lord, I'm never going to be able to do this. Was the portrait of the sun that came up first, and and everyone started grumbling among, well, why is this the first? I mean, I'm not bidding on this. This is, I don't know why this is the first one that came up. It, this man was so eccentric, I guess, you know, but paddles went down. Nobody was excited. And the old man's groundskeeper who was there helping out with the event was heartbroken because he had known the son and he knew the love of the father for the son and he had loved him and no one was bidding. And so he, just kind of threw up his hand and said, I'll, I'll take it. Uh, what about $50? It's, it's what I have. Sold. He gets the portrait of the son. And the auctioneer looked and he said, well, everyone, thank you for coming. The auction's over. And people said, what, what do you mean? They started getting upset. We saw these beautiful paintings, this, this gorgeous collection that he had. And the auctioneer said, before he died, the wealthy man left a note and said, whoever loves the son will receive the father's treasures. And so worth is the value that we give to something. And we've experienced that, haven't we? We've looked on the son and we've said, we love you, Jesus. And the father has said, I will give you my kingdom. Isn't he good? So let's look at why is God worthy? We've asked ourselves this question, Pastor Steve said this morning, you know, maybe even this week we've kind of thought to ourselves, well, you know, I, I know that he requires my time, but honestly, you know, is he, is he, you know, does he deserve it? Or, you know, our actions show some of that thought pattern, even if we don't think of it consciously. Our actions show what we think about God's worth. So how do we determine God's worth in our hearts? First of all, we need to look at who he is, and then we need to see what he's done. So first of all, he's the creator. Now this is something that every culture, every tradition has a, a story for, an origin story. Something that the world was formed on a turtle's back. Something that... Um, in the case of where we're going, the ancients in Oaxaca thought that the gods threw down a fish into the ocean and the fish spit out people. There are all these different things, but we, we all have sought for why are we here. And there's an answer to that. God is our creator. He's made us. And because he's made us, he is worthy of our admiration because he's bigger than us. I don't, I don't get to look at something and say, oh, look, I'm, I made this little modeling clay craft with my kids, and I, I don't have the power to go, and it's like, comes to life, right? That's not me. That's what God did when he made us. He invented us. He thought of us, and then he did it. But, you know, sometimes that feels a little impersonal, Maybe just me, but I kind of go, yeah, he's our creator. Yeah, he's the God of the universe. But that kind of makes him feel like he's out there a little bit. 
Many cultures have creation stories, and, and they revere the gods of those stories. That's who he is, and that's what he's done. He's the creator, and he has created us and created this world that we live in. But we as believers have a deeper understanding of what he's done and who he is. He is our rescuer. He didn't create us and leave us. He's our redeemer and our friend. And this is a personal understanding of what he's done and who he is that not everybody gets to have. If we turn to John chapter 1, I want to read the beginning. Because this is the intro to John's gospel, but it's in some ways also the conclusion to John's gospel. He tells us beforehand what it is that he's going to communicate in this book. And I want you to hear this because he... He talks about the creator God, and he also talks about the rescuer God. I'm reading out of the New Living. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Skipping down to verse 10. Okay, so that's the creator God. Here's verse 10. He didn't leave it there. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him, but... To all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. He's not just our creator, he's our father, and he's our redeemer, he's our friend, he's our rescuer. He didn't just create us and step out, he created us and stepped in. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word, the creator God, became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. And from his abundance, we've all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart, and he's revealed God to us. Can I hear amen? And it's not just who he is and what he's done, but it's his continued work in our lives that speak to his worth. So how much is he worth? We've said that worth is, is the level at which something deserves or someone deserves to be valued. So how much? And this is what Jesus said about himself. Matthew 10, 37 to 38. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son 
or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So how much is he worth? He's worth it all. All of it. He's worth our painful stuff. He's worth our joyful stuff. He's worth our worship from the bottom and the depths of our soul that every time we come into his presence, we would dig deeper and say, God, I have more worship to give you. I have more praise to give you. All that I am and obedience, even if it means leaving Bethel Christian Fellowship, even if it means doing hard things, doing a new culture, You're worthy of it all, and I will never hold back what you ask me to give. So how do we respond? How can we respond to who he is? First is awe and worship. When we look at him as a creator, as the God of the universe, in our hearts we should say, wow, wow. He's so much bigger. He's so much greater. Wow, there's never been anyone like him. In humility, one of the things God says he requires of us is to walk humbly before him. We are not the same as him. He came for us and he became a man, but we are not the same. He is bigger and we, in our hearts, should say, oh God, I'm small in your eyes. And the last thing, the harder thing, is obedience. See, awe and worship and humility, to a certain extent, they... just going to use my hand. Um, <laughs> to a certain extent, they come naturally when we consider who God is. They come a little bit naturally to go, wow, thank you, Katerina. but a little less natural is obedience. Would you agree with that? A little harder. See, Jesus said, give it all up. Your father, your mother, your son, your daughter, your riches, your home, everything. If you're not willing to give it up, do you really know me? Do you really see my worth? Philippians 2 is very well-known passage and for good reason. We are to become imitators of Christ. Because see, he didn't just ask us to do this. He did it himself and showed that it could be done. Philippians 2 verse 5, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Because though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience. He humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. 
And therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was obedient. The Father had a plan. And you know what? Jesus in the garden... (laughs) said, oh, I know what's coming, and, and really, God? Really, is this the obedience you want from me? Oh, really? All of it? Everything? And he experienced on the cross more agony than we could ever experience because he took on himself the sin of the world. He who deserved no burden, he who deserved no condemnation, took the punishment. And why? Because he became obedient to the will of God the Father. And we're asked to imitate that. See, love shows itself in honor, but it shows itself most deeply and most significantly in obedience. If my children say, Mama, I love you. I love you so much. And I say, could you go clean your room? (laughs) And they say, "Mm, no. Does that communicate love to me? See, love is shown most brightly in obedience. And here's the thing. Our obedience may not be your obedience, and your obedience may not be anyone else's. But what we are called to do as believers, to show God that we understand his worth and that he is worthy of everything that we are, is to say, what's my obedience? What do you desire of me? And to walk it out and to give him what he's due because he is our creator and he is our rescuer, our redeemer, and our friend. Amen. I'm going to hand it over to Pastor Ben. I got this thing. Love you. John Cooper, the lead singer of a rock band, Christian rock band, Skillet, responded to a litany of recent apostasies among Christian leaders in a Facebook post titled, What in God's Name is Happening to Christianity? Put up on Tuesday, August 13th, Cooper directly addressed the reasons by, given by Hillsong songwriter Marty Sampson for renouncing, renouncing his Christian faith before highlighting the need for Christians to stay grounded in a true, truth-driven faith over an emotion, emotional-driven one. Here's the text of his post in the entirety, not corrected for spelling or punctuation. Okay, I'm going to say it because it's too important not to say. What's happening to Christ- in Christianity? More and more, we're, our, our outspoken leaders or influencers who were once the faces of the faith are falling away. At the same time, they're being very vocal and bold about it. Shockingly, they still want to influence others. For what purpose? As they, as they announce that they're leaving their faith. I'll state my conclusion, and then I'll state some rebuttals in the statements I read I'll read, I've read by by some of them. 
Firstly, I've never judged people outside of my faith, even if they hate religion, Christianity. That's not my place. I have many friends who disagree with my religion, and that's 100% fine with me. However, when it comes to people within my faith, there must be a measure of loyalty and friendship and accountability to each other and to the Word of God. My conclusion to the church All of us Christians, we must stop making worship leaders and thought leaders or influencers or cool people or relevant people or most influential people of Christendom. Yes, that includes me. I've been saying this for 20 years and seem probably quite judgmental to my peers that we are in a dangerous place and the church is looking, when the church is looking to 20-year-old worship singers for our source of truth. Now we have a church culture that leans on who learns who God is from singing modern praise songs rather than from the teachings of the word. I'm not being rude to my worship leader friends. Many would agree with me in saying that, that singers and musicians are good at communicating emotion and feeling. We create a, a moment in a, a vehicle for God to speak. However, singers are not always the best people to write solid, solid biblical truth and doctrine. Sometimes we are too young, too ignorant, of Scripture, too unaware, too unconcerned about the purity of Scripture and the holiness of God that we're singing to. Have you ever considered the disrespect of singing songs that are untrue of his character? I have a specific, few specific thoughts and rebuttals of the statements made by recent disavowed church influencers. First of all, I'm stunned that the seemingly most important thing, these leaders who have lost their faith, to make such a bold stance basically saying, I've been living and preaching boldly something for 20 years and led a generation of people with my teachings, and now I'm no long, I no longer believe it. Therefore, I'm going to boldly and loudly tell people it, it's all wrong, and I will boldly and loudly lead people to my next truth. I'm perplexed. Why, are we, why aren't we embarrassed, humbled, ashamed, fearful, confused? Why are we so eager to continue leading people when you clearly don't even know where you're headed? My second thought is, why do people act like being real covers a multitude of sin? As if someone is courageous for simply sharing virtually every thought of a a dark place. That's not courageous, that's cavalier. Have you ever considered the ramifications? Have you ever, uh, as if they're the harbingers of truth, saying, I used to think one way and practice and preach it, but now I've, I've learned all the new truth and will start practicing and preaching that. So the influence has become the voice of truth in whatever stage of life and whatever evolution takes place in their thinking. Thirdly, there's a common thread running throughout these leaders, influencers, that basically says no one else is, is talking about real stuff. That's just flatly false. I just read today a renowned worship leader's statement, how could a God love people and send them to hell? No one talks about that? Really? As if he's the first per- person to ask this. Brother, you're not, you're not that unique. The church has been wrestling with this for 1,500 years. Literally, everybody talks about it. Children talk about it in Sunday school. There's a billion books written about the topic. Just because you don't get your, the answer you want doesn't mean you're, we're, that we are unwilling to wrestle with it. We wrestle with Scripture until it transforms us by the renewing of our minds. And lastly, the most shocking thing of these influencers di- di- that disavow their faith, they're always... They end their statements with new insight or new truth that basically is a regurgitation of Jesus' words. It's truly bizarre and ironic. They say, I'm disengaging and disavowing my faith, but remember to love people, be generous, forgive others. 
Um, why? That's not, that's actually not human nature. No child is ever born and says, I, I want to love others loving before loving myself. I want to turn the other cheek. I want to I give money to others in need. These are biblical principles taught by a prophet, priest, king of kings who wants, to live by, uh, wants us to live by a higher standard, which is not an earthly standard, but a, a rather a kingdom of God's standard. Therefore, as Jesus, if Jesus is not the truth of the word of God, and the word of God is not absolute, then by preaching Jesus' teachings, you're endorsing the word of man, words of man made, a lunatic who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He also said that, we are al- <clears throat> that he was alive before Abraham. We see him, we see him was to see God because he was the one who was with God. So why then would we disavow Christian leader? Why would this disavow Christian leader promote the generosity of that generosity is good. How would you know what is good? What Jesus, what, without Jesus' teachings, and will your ideas of what is good be different from your year-to-year based on your experience, culture trends, popular opinion, etc.? Furthermore, from all you continue year-to-year, lead others into your idea of goodness, even though it is not absolute. I'm amazed that so many Christians want the benefits of the kingdom of God, but with the caveat they, they themselves will be the king. It's time for the church to rediscover the preeminence of the word and value the teachings of the word and, and the need to value the truth over feeling, truth over emotion, that we are seeing now as a result of the church rising up influencers that, that did not supremely value truth. And we have led a generation who also do not believe in the supremacy of truth. And those disavowed leaders are proudly still leading these influencers in influencing boldly away from the truth. Is it any wonder that some are disavowed Christian leaders are letting go of the absolute truths of the Bible and subsequently their, their lives are falling apart? Rather than further and further, they are they're sinking to the sea while shouting, now I found the truth, follow me. Brothers and sisters in the faith all around the world, pastors, teachers, worship leaders, influencers, I implore you, Please, please, in your search for relevancy of the gospel, let us not find creative ways to shape God's word into an image of our culture by stifling inconvenient truths, but rather let us hold on even tighter to the anchor of the living word of God. For he changes not. The grass withers and the flowers fade away, but the word of our God stands forever. That was, uh, that was in response to uh, Marty Sampson, Hillsong worship leader, Joshua Harris, uh, wrote books about I Kiss Dating Goodbye and uh, talked talk a bunch of books about purity and uh, another, another megachurch pastor down south. All kind of, uh, all in the last month said, it's fake. It's everything I've been preaching for the last 20 years. Is, don't, don't buy it. Uh, and, and he started, uh, and his response back to them was, what is going on? Where is this coming from? Where is this? Uh, and we, we see that commitment, commitment and obedience is costly. Commitment and obedience. Uh, and I, some of them, when I'm thinking about these leaders and thinking about, it, did they 
get worn out and weary of the cost. Obedience is costly. I mean, you, you, the, the more something is worth, you, can, you guys can go uh, Sunday afternoon to Sam's Club. Any families do that? Just us, I guess. All right, so they got samples. They got sam- Hey, Mark, thanks, buddy. They got samples at, at Sam's Club, you know. There's these old ladies with their little trays and carts, and they've got something cooking. And here, have this sausage. Hmm, that's good. Yeah, I'll take it. It didn't cost me anything. And then all of a sudden, they hand you a coupon. And they say, you should, you should think about buying some. It's actually going to cost me something. Is it really that valuable? Is that really that? It's actually going to take some commitment, right? When something actually costs us, when something actually has worth, has value, there's cost involved. Uh, commitment and obedience are, are costly. And we ask the question, is it worth it? Is it worth it? The more expensive or value something is, the more we contemplate and think, is it worth it? We've been, our family's been in a season uh, of contemplating and introspection and a lot of like, is it worth it? Is it, is it worth stepping out in faith? Is it worth stepping out in, uh, you know, I had, I had the, a dream job. Being a youth pastor, I love it. I love hanging out with youth. I love pouring into them. I love laying my life down for them. I love hanging out with them. I love, I love what I do. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? it th- these are the questions that were going through our mind. These are the questions we had to wrestle through. These are the questions we had to think about. These are questions the Lord's asking us. Uh, this is the next Season and this is the next. Uh, you know, we read, been talking to the to youth about fruitfulness and seasons of fruitfulness and seasons of uh, fruitlessness and fruit fruit. And uh, the Bible talks about Ephesians five one: be imitators of Christ as dearly loved children. Uh, that fruitfulness comes from being connected to the Lord. That fruitfulness comes from you know John fifteen t- talks about the the true vine. Says the, the, the vine, uh, the branch connected to the vine, the van, branch that has no fruit is cut off and pruned and thrown into the fire. The branch that does have fruit is pruned off anyway, so that it can be more fruitful. We're in a season where uh, we're being pruned. Might feel like Bethel Christian Fellowship is being pruned, but it's pruned so that the next season can come. It's pruned so that it can be more fruitful. It's pruned so that it can be more like the Lord wants. Lord has more for for Bethel. I know it. He said, "Be imitators of Christ as dearly loved children." That that. Uh, See, it didn't just say be an imitator of Christ. Uh, you know, be an imitator of Christ, and we can be an imitator of Christ. And uh, out of being an imitator of Christ, all of a sudden we're, we're 
the fruitfulness and the fruits of the Spirit and the fruit of who Jesus was, uh, we can't manufacture that. We can try. We can do it all, as much as we can. We can, uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love people more. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to, the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit and the life God gives us, uh, there's something when we're connected to Him and we're in relationship with Him, fruitfulness comes. When we're connected to Him and we're connected to the vine, fruitfulness happens. It just happens. He didn't say, be an imitator of Christ, that's it. He said, be an imitator of Christ as dearly loved children. The dearly loved children piece is, I, I don't have to study his mannerisms and study what he's like and study. I'm not saying don't study scripture, but what I'm saying is there's something that happens when it comes out of relationship. When it comes out of relationship as a, as a dearly loved child, and all of a sudden you see a child that's acting exactly like their parent, and they have the same mannerisms, and the same way they do things, and the same way they think, and the same way that you, you see it like, man, it's a little mini-me, right? It's, it comes out of a place of security, and it comes out of a place of, I want to be like my daddy, comes out of a place of relationship as a dearly loved child, be an imitator of Christ. It's not, I'm going to imitate him and be like him. Like, it's out of relationship and out of connection and out of, that's how we get to be like him. And out of relationship and connection, I get to be like him and, wear, and be, walk in obedience and walk in what he's called us to do. Is it, is it worth it? Motivations for obedience. So uh, there's a, pastor that was talking about uh, his motivation for not cheating on his wife. He said, my motivation for not cheating on my wife is I love her. Period. Like, that has to be the motivation. Right? I love my wife. Therefore, I say no to all these other things. I love my wife. That's the motivation. There's also secondary motivations. You don't, like, like, as a pastor was talking about, uh, I only have a degree in theology. I don't think to myself, if I cheat on my wife, where am I going to work? What job am I going to have? That's a secondary, secondary uh, motiv- motivation. There's primary motivation, I love you. Uh, secondary motivations, there's the secondary ones of, it, it would destroy my kids. And I'm not saying like that shouldn't be in our thought ever, but the motivation has to be out of love. It has to be out of a place of, uh, and the Lord's not looking for us and walking in obedience, coming out of a place of all these secondary things and all these secondary, like the, the, the motivation for be, obedience, the Second Corinthians 5 says the love of Christ compels us. It's the love of Christ that compels us. It's walking, it's, it's walking in relationship with him. It's walking in that fruitfulness and walking in, in relationship with him that compels us to, to love others. It's the love of Christ that compels us to, to walk in obedience. It's the love of Christ that compels us to... Uh, it's the love of Christ. The cost of obedience, it leads, leads to relationship. It's about relationship. I want to share with you a quick video. This is a guy named Justin Wren. Justin Wren was a uh, MMA fighter, uh, and he was into all kinds of drugs, all kinds of, he had the life, he had everything, he had money, he had uh, 
power, possession, everything. Uh, God got a hold of his heart. This is a quick, quick two-minute clip of his, his story. Five years ago, I was a professional athlete. I fought on the Ultimate Fighter, and I was in the UFC. Looking at me from the outside, you probably would have thought I had it all. In reality, I felt like I had this hole basically in my soul, and I would use any drug I could find to fill that void. And then at my lowest point, I say God loved the hell out of me. He, he found me in the pit I was in and showed me the way out of it. That's when I gave up the American dream and I gave up being a professional athlete. I met my second family here in the Congo, the Mabuti Pygmies. Uh, they call themselves the forgotten people. All Pygmies are denied their basic human rights. They're victims of hatred. I know this because of Andy Bo, a one and a half year old little boy that was denied hospital treatment. The doctor said, we won't waste our medicine on a pygmy animal. It's cheaper to just let them die and try to take care of them. I, I saw the blood come out of his ears and, uh, and, and uh, I, bur I buried him, I dug his grave and, um, and, and that will change you. That was the moment that, that gripped my heart, the moment that I knew that this is my fight too. This is the reason why I came back to the States and why I fight for Bellator. There's so much more at stake now. Every cent I make from my win bonus is going to land, water, and food initiatives for my tribe. And that's why I can't lose. Because before, I was fighting for myself. But now I'm fighting for something bigger than myself. I'm fighting for my family. Hello. All right. So that's uh, Justin Wren. He's got a very unique story. But just how uh, when God gets a hold of somebody's life, and, and he said it in there. He said it in there. I, I, I no longer have to, I'm not, no longer fighting for myself. I'm fighting for someone else. Uh, and that's the journey. That's the journey uh, that we get to, that we get to be on. That's the journey that, we get to be on together. That's the journey of, uh, you know, as a youth pastor, I hope that in nine years of, of youth ministry, we do this uh, pouring into kid, tr trying to see them understand and get it and uh, understand. You know, they come in from a, you can see them in the nursery. Their, their whole mindset and attitude and whatever is mine, mine, mine. Right? Some of us never grow out of that. My, my heart as a youth pastor has been, we have to get to a place where we become others focused. I've been preaching that for years. Others focused, others focused, others focused. Uh, when we focus on the Lord, it's easy to start become others focused. Uh, 
uh, when we focus on what, what really matters and focus on a relationship with him, all of a sudden, others, we start to notice others. And that's kind of been the journey that us and our family have been on. This was a David Platt quote, I'm convinced that the greatest social injustice of our day is the reality that about two billion people still have never heard of the redeeming love of Jesus. We see in here over and over about the nations. We, heard, we hear Pastor Steve talking about the nations and God's heart and plan for the nations. We, we talk about how we're a house of prayer for all nations. We talk about how God's heart for the nations. And there's been something that's been gripping our heart in the last season, like, what do we do with that? The Lord's calling us to come to a place of obedience and come to a place of, you know what, there's a cost. But Lord, you're worthy. You're the worthy of it all. I think of the journey of the, the disciples. The journey of the disciples went from a, a journey of they're arguing about who's the greatest. Their journey was always... Uh, always looking out for themselves. Their journey was always, I'm, I'm the best. I want to sit next to the, to the Lord. I want to sit at his right hand. I want, uh, you know, there was, there was always, it was, their journey was always a little bit messy. And then the Lord gets a hold of that. They spend three years with the Lord. He pours into them. Then he gives them the Holy Spirit. And I, and, I, and I can't help but think the journey that they went on to the, to the point where James, the brother of John, was murdered in Acts chapter 12. James the Lesser was crucified in Egypt, thrown off a building. They didn't kill him, so they, his body was, they went and beat him with clubs, and his body was severed into pieces. John was poisoned. That didn't work, so they boiled him in oil. That didn't work, so they sent him on an island to rot by himself. Jude was shot with arrows on Mount Ararat. Matthew was a missionary and disappeared. Peter was crucified in an upside-down cross. He said, I'm not worthy to die the same death as my Lord. Philip was crucified, put my body in papyrus or newspaper so that the message of the gospel can go. Simon was martyred on the mission field. Thomas was martyred in India by a spear. Andrew was crucified in an X-shaped cross, and Bartholomew was skinned alive. How do we get to that place? How do we go from the place where it's all about me? I'm fighting for me. I'm doing what's good for me. How do we get to the place? I'll give it all. Jesus, you're worthy. We're going to come to the table this morning to finish up. So if uh, my table people wouldn't mind coming on up. This breaking 
was costly. It costs something. The body of Jesus broken for us. How much value? How much value? How much worth? If you're here this morning, you've not received Jesus and not asked him to be, you not started that journey and that relationship and that place of obedience and that place of, uh, this is an invitation. This is an invitation to, to, to join in that journey this morning. It's an invitation to, to start that journey. And we have no idea where that will bring you, no, no idea. But there's something in us that says, Lord, you've, you've laid your life down for us. You've paid it all for us. You're worthy. You're worthy of my life. You're worthy of my obedience. You're worthy of my sacrifice. You're worthy of, you're worthy of it all. And for each one of us, this, this table is, is a, that's what we're reminding ourselves of. We're reminding ourselves, Lord, you're worthy. Lord, this, cost, this was costly. This was value. As we partake together, as you pass, uh, I'm going to ask you to do one thing, because one of the things in... Uh, Corinthian, the Corinthian church where it gives a lot of instructions about the table. One of the things that they were, they were instructed to do was make sure you're not forgetting one another and make sure, you're not, uh, make sure you're doing this as a family and make sure you're doing this as uh, together. There's a togetherness that, that Paul emphasized. He says, so as you pass it, I want you to just, not just flippantly pass it, I want you to pass and say, this is the body of Jesus broken for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. So there, there's a family and there's a together, togetherness and there's a, a, a togetherness as we, as we part, partake, as we do this together. And we're, we're to corporately thinking about his worth thinking about the cost. We all want to be like the disciples who come, go from a place of who's the greatest to a place of I'm giving my life for the gospel. I'm giving my life for this message right here. So we can go ahead. Père très saint, nous te sommes infiniment reconnaissants pour cette table de grâce que nous sommes en train de partager en ce lieu. Père, nous voulons que tu bénisses au-dessus de ces éléments, le pain et la coupe que nous allons prendre maintenant. Seigneur, laisse que cette table, Seigneur, notre Dieu, puisse encore nous rapprocher près de toi, notre Dieu. Et que cette table, Seigneur, serve de guérison aussi, Seigneur. Que les éléments que nous allons prendre puissent apporter la guérison non seulement spirituel, mais aussi physique. 
oh Dieu Tout-Puissant, touche chacun de nous et que nous puissions expérimenter ta grâce et ta paix ainsi que ta joie. Bénis ces éléments dans nos vies, dans les grands et précieux de Jésus que j'ai ainsi prié. Amen. I pass unto you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave, gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this is the cup, is the new covenant between God and his people. An arrangement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. Lord, we thank you that we get to be family. Lord, we get to partake together. We get to partake in what you've what you've done for us and what you've accomplished. We get to see your value. We get to see your worth. Because of that, we get to see your, the value and worth of others. Because of your sacrifice, we get to live in that place of obedience and place of loving you and serving you and being connected to you and being in relationship with you. And out of that relationship comes fruitfulness. Out of that relationship comes life. Out of that relationship comes anything good. Lord, would you help us in our relationship with you? Help us to walk this out. Help us in our relationships with one another. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to uh, respond. I know we're a little bit over time. We're going to respond in just uh, another song of worship, and then we'll pray. And... Lord, you created us. And then you rescued us. You came to save us. You gave yourself your life, your body, your pain, your shame, your loneliness for us. So Lord, we say that you are worthy of all that we have. And we ask you to work that in us because we are naturally selfish and want to keep for ourselves and make ourselves king. Lord, do that work in us. I'm going to invite you just to think about what it is that you are wondering if God is worthy of, what it is that you're holding on to that you're not quite sure. You've heard Ben and Hannah and you've seen their lives and 
they're giving a lot. Um, they're saying that God is worthy of obedience no matter what happens to their kids in Mexico. They're worthy of obedience to leave Ben's parents here even though their health is not great. Worthy of all that might be. Worthy of their lives. God is worthy of our lives. But we have to keep saying that and keep doing that and keep giving each thing. So I want you to just take a minute Ask God, is there something that you want from me? Then I invite you to give that to him. And maybe you want to pray with somebody. If you come up, the, some of the elders and other prayer people will be here to pray with you, or you can kneel and pray yourself. We're going to close the service and um, send you into a week of living like he's worthy. So in the name of the Father who created you, the Son who died for you, the Spirit who goes with you, go in the name of Jesus and live like he's worthy. Amen.